Breaking. 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 The imposter. The imposter. Imposter. Breaking. The imposter. Hello everybody, this is Jermaine Ward yet again with another episode of Breaking the Imposter. Today I have with me AK, also known as Ahmed Kadim. He is a full stack developer, he's an entrepreneur, and he's also a UX designer and formerly one of my teachers at Bitmaker. Um, would you care to introduce yourself a little further and let everybody know a little bit more about what you do? Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Jermaine. Um, so I think you already kind of gave it all a developer, uh, entrepreneur, designer, and teacher. Um, you know, that's plenty <laughs> hard to keep up with all of them. Yeah. And which one, which one are you right now looking to like pursue the most, which one's like calling you the most out of all of those titles? Um, well, I think like right now. I'm definitely struggling with a bit of imposter syndrome around the entrepreneur part of that title. Um, I, I feel like, you know, I established myself as a developer, designer, and teacher, but I was on the founding team of a startup that, you know, failed. And that was kind of one of my first experiences with that startup failure. Um, so it didn't really like hit me hard because it wasn't my thing. But um, in 2016, I co-founded a startup uh, that was called Milney. And the idea was to create a platform to make planning Indian weddings easier. But because of the business model not really working out, you know, I think we, we built a great product and I think we had a lot of happy customers. But in terms of just the actual like growth strategy and the, and the sort of business model, um, you know, we decided to shut it down after a year and a half. And so there's there's that kind of term entrepreneur, but without a success to call my own, it's a, it's a little hard to actually kind of claim that one. Okay. That's very interesting that you're saying that that's the one where you feel like the imposter syndrome. So how did, how did that one even come about? Like, how did you think of going into planning Indian weddings as like your first venture in that avenue when you had so many other things that you could have went towards? Uh, well, it wasn't really my idea to do the Indian weddings idea. It was my co-founder. Um, Niti, Niti Passi, and because she'd gotten married just a few years before that. So that's where she came up with the idea. She actually started it just as a WordPress blog, kind of detailing her journey of planning her own wedding and offering resources and tips. And when she saw the reception she was getting, she decided to kind of create a feature on that blog where people could um, write in and tell her the details of the wedding. And she would write back basically with a list of vendors who you know could help uh, in the Toronto area, so it was very much that kind of like early entrepreneur, like MVP, like literally a forum on a WordPress blog that she would manually reply to. Um, but it proved that there was a need for that, and that's when she kind of found me and brought me on as as a co-founder and as like the the head of product um, to build an actual kind of like marketplace and, and network around that. Awesome. So that that being a project that you worked on before. What avenues are you looking to pursue where it might be like hindered by that, that feeling of, um, imposter syndrome, for example, like, where are you looking to move right now where it's preventing mm -hmm. you? Um, so I think there there's kind of two aspects of it. The, the first is that even just like progressing in a career in general, like, you know, a lot of times I feel like 
I gained so much experience through that co-founding experience because it, I was in charge of the the entire app, you know, the full stack development of the app. I, you know, hired a few junior members to help with with both the the development and kind of other parts of of the marketing. Um, bringing out the sort of the like the rebranding, the design of all of that and the business strategy, there's all of these different pieces that I felt like I learned so deeply, but because there's nothing to show for it, you know, I can't point to a URL that's still functional and say, here's that product that I created, or here's a startup and I don't have some numbers to be like, you know, I exited for this amount or whatever. So just in general, in, in, the, in my career, I found that in the last two years, people will, will kind of ask about that and it, it'll, it'll register as just like, a, oh, that means nothing to me. Um, so that's something that comes up in, you know, job interviews that comes up when I'm thinking about funding and like founding another startup and trying to look for funding and partners there. Um, one thing that I've, I've basically learned is that I've actually just stopped mentioning it as part of my experience, or I might just sort of mention it in passing after I've mentioned my uh, other experiences. And as much as I think we say, we, we, you know, celebrate failure in the entrepreneurship world, we you know, talk all about failure all the time and, and fetishize it to some extent. But then when you're actually presented with someone who's like, yeah, my startup didn't work out, but I'm going to try again. I think a lot of times we, we kind of discard them uh, a little bit. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting because the culture suggests that we should be inviting a lot of people and get everybody like, oh yeah, it's okay to fail. It's okay to fail. Like that's what entrepreneurs do. They fail, they fail, they fail, they fail. But why do you think there's like the culture that's built around that where it's just like, hey, we're failures. But when you get into the nitty gritty and get in front of people, they're like, oh, you failed at this or it wasn't as successful as um, X, Y and Z. Like, why do you think people reject that notion of when people come to fail, uh, like come to something that they believe they failed at, but they learned from it a lot? Because I know you learned a lot from it. Um, just moving forward for your own career goal. Well, I suppose, you know, everyone wants someone with a success on their resume. So that's like, even if you've had one failure, you have at least one success to sort of counterbalance that. Um, and I think that's a pretty natural thing where people, you know, do all this resume padding. They do all these kind of things to sound better on paper when that's not necessarily what's going to turn them into the most skilled or um, able you know, entrepreneur or whatever it is. But that social validation, that sort of like whatever numbers you can throw together to make yourself sound more kind of accomplished, I think really plays a big part in psychology. And, you know, that does have like tangible results at the end of the day. It means you have better access to funding. It means you have more people willing to take a chance on you. It means you have, you know, customers who see it as something that they'll be more willing to try. So, you know, there are real business differences from someone who can say, yes, I've exited this, you know, startup by, you know, selling it for 50 million to this other company. Um, and I'm sure there's also a lot of experiences that come from having taken it to that level that I, I would not have gotten, um, you know, because I didn't get there. Right. Yeah, and that's, and that's fair enough, but like going from there, like even outside of the experience of the entrepreneurial realm, uh, you've found success within teaching and within UX and you've had, you had successes in there. 
So mm -hmm. how did you apply your wins that you got from that experience with Milne to those other areas of your life that you're now looking to build and continue to build from before? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think teaching is definitely something that helps me feel more confident and aware of where I am in terms of my skills. Um, because I kind of realized that it really trains me to be a, a good leader, a good speaker. Um, it trains me to be very reactive when things go wrong and deal with them really well, but also to be really empathetic and realize how much of success is built on the emotional health of your team. Because when you're in a classroom and it's really difficult, you've been struggling for weeks or months and you really feel like out of place. You really feel like everything's kind of overwhelming. So much information is being thrown at you. Uh, I think that's when the emotional health of like your, your attitude and the people around you who are there to support you and make you feel that that's okay. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned from, from teaching. Yeah, I could definitely tell. Cause like, what do you say that? I was like, just going, putting back into mindset of like, oh gosh, I remember when we were getting to final <laughs> projects and I still feel like I had no idea what to do with UX. <laughs> just to have somebody that was competent enough to slow it down when I needed it and speed it up when I needed it. I think, um, as you said, like be, if you didn't have that empathy to see like where I needed to be like, okay, we have no time, hustle, hustle, hustle. There's these things that you could use to fix it up. And then you gave me that time when it was at the other stages to be like, okay, let's explore it some more. There's, there's more to this. I think that was like mm -hmm. something that was, that I found really, really, really valuable in terms of like mm -hmm. teaching style and like even getting me to feel a little bit out of my shell. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, you, you, we named you coach Jermaine for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> you had a pretty good impact on everyone else. Yeah. I, yeah. I've been called, I've been called coach many times and it'd be like, but I ain't never played no sports. <laughs> <till later." laughs> so getting a little bit into your personal branding, because one thing I found is very important is how we are, how we present ourselves to the world. So how would you, how would you describe your personal brand? Yeah, that's funny. You know, it's something I almost never really thought about in a, in a conscious level, at least, because whenever I, you know, was told or read somewhere that, Hey, this is a good idea to establish your personal brand. It, it felt so fake and inauthentic mm -hmm. that I didn't want to do that in a, at least in an active way, but I guess that itself is a way of establishing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll get my personal brand by not caring about my personal brand. It's just being. <laughs> yeah. And, and I definitely like have changed that over the last few years where I, I've realized the importance of, you know, telling the world who you are in your own words, not letting that be something where people, you know, come up with their own way of describing you. I'd, I'd rather kind of say, here's who I would like to be. Here's how I think I am. Uh, so I, I've become a little more comfortable with, with doing that in the, more recently, but I think there's still an element of like, you know, screw the normal way that things are done. Like, fuck it. I'm just going to do it my way. And yeah, that's not exactly how a personal website should be written or should look. And no, my LinkedIn bio isn't maybe exactly what you'd want from a traditional, like, you know, job recruiters perspective, but 
feels more real to me. It feels more like confident. It feels more authentic. So I think I still got this like irreverent kind of style around what I what I write and what I do. Yeah, I think I think it's important to have that element too because you could end up getting into this little area where you just feel people just feel so robotic. Mm-hmm. And it's just like they're looking to please people based off of what they want instead of what uh, instead of what others want instead of what they know they intrinsically want to be looked at or how they want to be looked at or how they want to be and act within the world. I feel sure. like that could bring a lot of issues in terms of like, even when I was looking for a UX job, I, w- I had like problems where I was just like, oh yeah, let me do this in a certain way. But then I realized doing it in that way, everybody's doing it in that way and kind of brown nosing or whatever you want to call it. And it's been, mm-hmm. when I just allowed myself to be a little bit more awkward and a little bit more me. Oh yeah. People, people were drawn to that more so than me trying to be like the perfect student or the best candidate because of xyz because like even how you said like um people just pad their resumes earlier it's just like you're doing that with mm-hmm. branding is you're putting things just to make yourself look better but you're not actually living that absolutely yeah and i think the way i started to look at it is when you speak with your own kind of voice and not what you think that people want to hear or what you think is the right way to be professional Mm-hmm. Um, then the the people who you want to see and respond to that in the way that you'd like to connect to those people, those are the people who are going to take it well. So by being true to yourself, it's also a way to find the people who like that. Yeah. If you never do that, right, then those people won't sort of know who you are. It's like screaming out to the world like, hey, here's what I'm about. And a bunch of people won't like it, but that's not the point. The point is to find the people who do. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, and like based off the people that um, will or will not love you, like who who are the type of people that would possibly not love your style of branding, your personal style of branding? Uh, it broke up. What was the question again? Sorry, I was asking, um, who do you believe may not love your style of branding or the way that you brand yourself, where they'd have like an aversion to your way of branding? Um, well, I, I've shown, you know, kind of some of my like, you know, just my personal website or just some of that kind of stuff that I, I can I write sometimes um, to, you know, senior designers with a decade or two decades of experience and just like get them to take a look, give me their thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've had a couple of those maybe more old school kind of like designers, um, tell me that they don't understand it or they don't get it. And they're like, why are you being so casual? Like, why are you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think it's people maybe coming from like a more corporate background, people coming from like older school industries, or even just people who've just been around long enough that this kind of like more casual way of presenting yourself is strange to them. Yeah. So I think there's definitely an age gap as well. Mm-hmm. And like, like a simple example, like the way I uh, sort of end most of my emails, instead of saying like, best regards, or, you know, like warmly, or, you know, sincerely, or cheers, whatever the kind of like, I always found those to be a little 
blase, like just a little boring. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I send off most of my emails with the like two finger, like peace sign. Yeah. (laughs) And I kind of put that on my personal website. I like scatter that around like the messages I send out to people, uh, until the point, like people actually started recognizing, like, you're the guy who puts the peace emoji on everything. (laughs) I'm like, yep. (laughs) And then sometimes I'll open up with the hand wave emoji. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, oh, this guy, this guy is trying to like work with us, right? Like what is, (laughs) yeah, I'll I'll send that to someone. I want to apply for a job at their company and they'll like, you know, if they don't like that, then it's probably not a company I'd like to work for. Yeah. (laughs) That's really funny. So how do you, with all the with all the old school um, ways of thinking, like how do you make sure that you stay true to yourself in moments of like when you meet those crossroads of like, oh, maybe I should do this a little bit more to be a little bit more noticed. Like, how do you do you ever compromise your being or yourself? And if so, how? Yeah, well, I think it's important to keep in mind that at the end of the day, we're all here to create good work and if that's the reason that we're here then how we express ourselves maybe not the most important thing right so as, as much as i'd like like to be a little like casual a little reverent it's not so important that it should get in the way of things that if you'd like to be a little more courteous or professional in the way you think so i'm happy to match that as long as it kind of gets us towards a goal that we both feel is meaningful and, and shared mm-hmm So, Uh, I mean, if it's in a work environment and you're trying to figure out, like, how does the rest of your team communicate? Yeah. It's all about figuring out, you know, what they would like to be, how they would like to be communicated with. What what does that mean to them? How do they receive it? Yeah. So that's where we kind of put ego aside and give people what they'd like rather than making it about us. Yeah. And that could go back to your earlier point about when, like, how teaching helps you be a little bit more empathetic. And Mm -hmm. just more aware of all the different people that you have to work with and their own personality type. So that that makes a lot of sense to me in terms of just making those compromises. Mm -hmm. But they're compromises that is coming from understanding the next person's perspective instead of you just trying to be the best in their eyes at any given time. Yeah, for sure. It's like... Kind of like translating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, here's here's an, here's a question that's a little bit more um. In and at any point, you could choose to answer questions or not. But um, what was what was the point of your life where you had um an ident your biggest identity crisis? Well, I think it would probably be just around kind of university, I had a few kind of events that that really shook me out of a comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I entered into like a depression for two years. And for a pretty long period of time, I just felt completely apathetic, um, not really participating, committing to anything, I, you know, didn't have too many friends for a long time. Um, and I can imagine, you know, it was hard to be if like, my friend, because of that kind of overall mood and emotion that I was in. Mm-hmm. And somehow like I felt that I would get out of it. I just didn't know how or when. Yeah. And when that started to happen, you know, it was like really one of my best friends from university, Adi, who kind of saw this happen. And you could tell that after a while, he just started to really feel like both like he didn't know what to do, but he wanted to do something. 
And I just remember there was a moment like he we we kind of went out to a fun party one night and I was like being all mopey and moody as usual. And I just kind of saw this like kind of heartbroken look in his eyes as he kind of just saw like how much had changed in that last like two years. Mm -hmm. And something about that, like just that look and the, and the commitment that he had to kind of being there for me, like really snapped me out of this. And it was very much like a pivotal moment where I kind of woke up the next day with a little bit of a bounce being like, damn, I, I need to shake out of this. I don't know what to do or how, but I need to figure it out. And from that point on, for like a, a couple of months, I started reading about psychology, positive psychology, happiness, depression. I, you know, saw a psychiatrist about it. They pointed me in a few directions that really helped. Um, but I mostly kind of just started reading everything I could read, good habits and how to kind of start establishing them. Mm -hmm. And in, in just like four or five, six months, I kind of went from being like in a pretty deep depression to being like the happiest I'd ever been and feel, feeling like confident, feeling in charge of myself. And, you know, at that point, I was nearing the end of my time at university. So I, I started working. I started actually, that was the time that I decided to act on like being interested in technology. So decided to, you know, apply for jobs as a web designer. I actually went to Bitmaker five years ago to learn development. And within a matter of months, like I started to kind of turn everything around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's actually pretty amazing. It's like one of the things that I find, like, as you said, like two things that help you kind of take yourself, take you away from yourself is being able to see yourself within somebody's eyes that actually really cares about you and just giving yourself a buttload of different perspectives through reading and seeing how other people deal with it and just realizing and understanding like, hey, I may be going through something right now but I'm not the only person in history that had to go through it. And other people as normal as I am were able to come up through these, through these situations where they felt this way. For sure. It's really, really powerful in terms of, in terms of getting people to move forward and getting us to realize, like, as you said, there's, you don't know when you're going to get out of it, but mm -hmm. there's just this awkward feeling that you could hold on to that. I can get out of this. This is going to pass. And holding on to that while you go to your day to day, even though you might not be feeling 180 mm -hmm. today, you get that small, tiny little change in your mentality where you're not thinking or as neurotic as the other days or things like that. And I think that's absolutely that's something that is like really worthwhile and valuable for people to know because like. <laughs> It happens to everybody and for sure. normal. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things uh, around being an entrepreneur that's both like really wonderful and also most challenging. <laughs> the challenging part, of course, is the, the you know, the, the roller coaster of emotions and everyone kind of says that it's a roller coaster of emotions. You have your highest highs and your lowest lows. But the wonderful thing about that is how many people you can empathize on that journey with and how many people are there to support and listen and share their stories. Um, you can really get this feeling that even in the depths of those kind of like low times, you're not alone. You've never been alone. There's been many, many people who have been through this as well. And being able to reach out gives you these really strong bonding and connecting moments um, that if anything are kind of stronger than they would be without the difficulty that you both went through exactly exactly and then like when you found when you found those um 
like yourself and you found like a little bit more for yourself and you said that you got happier how did you change your definition of like being success or kind of normalize it within your life so that you that it wasn't only a few exceptional people were able to have like those those feelings of i'm accomplishing something i'm doing something greater for my life like how did you how did you define success hmm. well i think like many of us i had a bit of a steve jobs complex at some point <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I thought I was Steve Jobs, but I definitely wanted to be. Yeah. And I think that was a bit of a a misdirection, right? Because when we want to be someone, we end up kind of going in all sorts of directions that don't really make sense, that yeah. don't really fit the situation that's in front of us, the person who we are. 100%. And I think that's still true to today. You know, people, and myself included, like we idolize certain people and then we realize that maybe we shouldn't idolize them. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, kind of, as much as we take the advice of like, you know, everyone has their own definition of success, everyone has their own path to success, and success means something different for everyone. It's honestly, I think something that I struggle with, like still to this day, and it's still one of the big things that I feel I wonder if I'll be fulfilled if I don't end up achieving what I think I should or want to achieve in terms of, you know, creating, you know, human technology that really helps society and helps people live more fulfilling lives. To me, that is something that I would really love to achieve in a meaningful and large way. But I've had to come to peace with the fact that however big or small of a piece of that, that I end up doing in my life, that that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't need to create the iPhone to still create something meaningful, to still create something that helps whoever it helps. Right. And that's like a misconception where I where I find a lot, even like myself, is like, oh man, if I'm not <laughs> if I'm not making this podcast as great as like Tony Robbins or as great as like Jim <laughs> Rohn or any of these guys that came before me, then ah, it's not worth it. But it's just like, no. You're helping somebody. So if you're okay with just being able to help somebody and like have fulfillment and joy in that. Yeah. You're, you're already living a purpose. That's a lot greater than yourself. And it's just like, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And I, and I think I realized it's a similar lesson to what we know about happiness. If you look too directly in the face at it, it goes away. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to like keep it in the peripheries of your vision. Mm -hmm. Don't ignore it completely, but don't stare it in the face and be like, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. I want to be successful. I want to be successful. I find that, it, you know, the, the, the lessons apply on both sides where you kind of have to just keep them in the edges of your vision. And like, instead, what should be right in front of you is more the things that make you happy, the things that make you successful versus happiness or success itself. Exactly, exactly. And on your on your path um, to finding yourself and like getting keeping your growth mentality, uh, what's something that you had to that had you had to give up on? What do you mean? So in terms of like, um, it's just like a, a way of doing things or a way of thinking or something like that. Like, what did you have to what did you have to give up or sacrifice to pursue your current path? 
like was is i like playing extra video games or like <laughs> well i mean if anything i feel like my current path is definitely one where i feel like balance in all aspects of my life are extremely important and that doesn't necessarily mean in every moment it might be that i take a chunk of time to work 100 hours a week but then i make sure that that doesn't stay that way i follow that up with a chunk of time where i work 20 hours a week for a little bit and instead go spend so much time with my friends and you know go do the other things that i love to do so i feel like if anything i don't really see it as sacrifice i see it as like you only get sort of one book to write and that's the the book of your life that you get to write you want to fill it with the things that you want to fill it with and to me it's like when you when you think about death instead of looking at it as a morose topic I, I look at it as something that forces you to choose and that's a good thing because forcing yourself to choose f forces you to also move forward forces you to choose the path that feels most right feels most you know impactful and meaningful to yourself if we have infinite time we end up probably doing you know a whole lot of nothing <laughs> that's fair that's fair the complex of of the vampire right <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so um i like to just i like to just hit you around with a I call the rapid fire segment. It's going to ask you a, a bunch of questions. You could answer them in very quick answers if you want to. If you want to elaborate, you could feel free to. But I just want to really get a sense of like a gut reaction, how you view these things. So, um, for example, what was one attribute that contributed to your success and growth? So, my dad, by far. From a pretty young age my dad taught me how to manage money taught me to be ambitious taught me to you know put all of myself into something and as an entrepreneur himself who you know went through like insanely difficult situations like fleeing the gulf war moving from country to country um while creating a business all in the name of you know you know having a better life for his family and then showing that like that passion but also that feeling of responsibility in the work that we create and, and giving back to the communities that we that we work in and participate in. I think that, you know, so much of the reason that I push as hard as I push is because of his example. Awesome. And who has been your biggest cheerleader throughout your success or throughout your life? Oh shit, can that not be the answer for that question? <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> like I, like I'm thinking like inspiration. And be like, okay, I can't say inspiration anymore. Be like your biggest cheerleader. It's just like the cheerleader inspiration. <laughs> he gets a double answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. My mom, I guess. <laughs> you know, my my mom is an entrepreneur in her own way, but definitely the cheerleader aspect is more her style. Got you. Whereas my dad is there as a model, but my mom is like calling me every day being like, so how's everything going? And like, you know, checking in. <laughs> Got you. And yeah. what's one lie you had to stop telling yourself? 
you won't make what you want. And、uh, what's one hobby you do outside of work that keeps you grounded?、Uh, for me, it's it's music. Like I have a pretty large record collection. I love spinning vinyl.、Um, so you know, often having people over and listening to you know house and techno, having like my DJ friends kind of come over and spin. Um, or, or just heading out to see like the DJs that we love, of course, like all types of music. But I find that like with the, with the you know scene in Toronto around house and music,、uh, house and techno music, and and the global scene for it in you know most cities,、uh, there's something really unifying about it and the experience of all being together and kind of participating in these like really deep musical experiences.、Um, I find that that's my my go-to place to be outside of you know work. And best advice you've ever received. Best startup advice I've ever received is、uh, from Mike Murchison, who's now the the co-founder of Ada.、Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, he was working on Volley, which was kind of the precursor to Ada, what they were kind of working on before they they pivoted.、Mm-hmm. And I remember I had like some idea that I was working on at the time. This was maybe four or five years ago at the DMZ,、mm-hmm. and. I asked him for advice about this idea, and he he told me that he'd gotten the best startup advice he'd ever gotten, and he shared it with me, and I'll share it with you. Is that you should look for your target customer and define them to such a specific level, like every every little tiny detail and aspect of exactly who this person is, and how they are, and how they behave, and what they want. Define it so specifically that it's impossible to find that person. And then broaden it like a tiny, tiny nudge from there, and that's who you should start building for. And if you had sixty seconds with yourself when you came out of high school, what advice would you give him? Yeah, stop being so cynical. Life is great. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, and、uh, yeah. what is? <laughs> what is one book you'd recommend? Um, damn, one book. Yeah, you could take you could take an extra one. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll I'll say the Happiness Advantage.、Um, for me, it definitely was a book that I read at the exact right moment. You know, coming out of depression, and it was so monumental because it like reframed every belief I had that was holding me back. Awesome and. Piece one piece of parting advice for the listeners, and how can they best reach you? I guess my parting advice is something I'd like to say to myself as often as I can, which is to kind of repeat the idea that that Steve Jobs had about the world around you is was built by people no smarter than yourself. So what I kind of would like to say to myself and others around that is that imagine the world that we want to live in, and let's start building that. Great, and how could they best reach you?、Uh, you can get me on Twitter, Ahmed Kavum, A H M A D K A D H I M. You can also go to my personal site, and there's everything else there, AhmedKavum dot com. Great, thank you so much, Ahmed. So, I I really and truly appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, thanks, Jermaine. No problem. I definitely. Received so much wisdom from you throughout my life and meeting you, even though it's only been a year. 
And I can't wait to see all the amazing things you do from here. Thanks. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking the Imposter. To stay up to date when episodes are released or to become a guest on the podcast, you can visit our website at www.breakingtheimposter.com. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so we can make sure the imposter stays broken.